Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor Tim Barone at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Grace and peace to you. You may be seated. Uh, Let's open up to Romans uh, chapter 10. And we are uh, continuing to think about how God's salvation has come into the world through Christ, and yet there's a mystery that many reject the Christ. And in particular, there's a mystery that the Jewish people that Jesus himself came from, that many of them had rejected the very salvation that God had prepared through their people. And so we're continuing with that uh, story, and it'll talk to us a lot about Uh, That mystery, but also about how God intends to save the world through his spirit. And so let's look uh, together, starting in uh, chapter 10, verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then? Will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is God's holy word. Uh, Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, we ask that we would be softened by your word and that your word would find our hearts. 
Uh, Lord, we hear in your scriptures that it's through your word that we have faith. And so we pray, Lord, that you would grant us that faith this day by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when you were young, or maybe when you're not so young, maybe just last week or so, if you ever got in trouble for something that you didn't do, a pretty surefire go-to method of getting out of being in trouble was to say, I didn't know, right? Or I didn't hear, or I wasn't sure what to do, and so I didn't do anything. In other words, it's pleading ignorance, uh, pleading ignorance is a, is a pretty good card to play when you don't have any other cards to play. Um, and that's actually kind of what we see here in the text. The question is, can Israel and indeed all people who reject the Christ, can they plead ignorance before God? And he's going to answer that saying no, but we're going to kind of walk through and see kind of how he builds this out. And so kind of going back to the beginning of verse 5, we have this comparison between Jesus, uh, Moses, and the word of Christ. And so Paul begins to quote from the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy and connect that to what's happening in Christ and the revelation of Jesus and his word. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 30, we have this uh, conversation between Moses and the people of God, and they're already saved. They were pulled out of Egypt already. This is not a salvation conversation. It's not, Moses isn't teaching them how to be saved or how to belong to God, but he's, after they have been saved, he's instructing them on choosing life or death living by the commandments of God and being blessed by them or being cursed by rebelling against them. And so this is what's going on. He's encouraging the people to choose life. This God who had saved them already from the hands of Egypt has good things in store for them. And he wants them to follow his ways, right? He doesn't want them to rebel uh, and to be destroyed by that rebellion. And so he's commanding them Uh, to do what the Lord says. And so here's some of what he says. This commandment that I command you today, it's not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who shall ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. In other words, Moses is saying, look, guys, you don't have to go into heaven to know what God wants for you. You don't have to go back across the sea and search out like foreign things to figure out what God has in mind for you. In fact, God has come down to you and written it down and given it to you. And so there's, there's no excuse. You can't plead ignorance here. God has ensured that you know all of his instructions and all of his words. So the same thing is going on in our text for today as Paul quotes these things. He's 
using that Old Testament story, which they would have been very familiar with, and he's talking about the revelation that has come down in Christ. Look what it says in in verse 8 of our text for today. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Here in this text, it says he connects it to Christ, right? He says, uh, in the Old Testament, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down, he says. Or in verse 7, or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. No, same thing. The word is near to you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. And what word is that? No longer is it the Old Testament word of the Torah, but it is the New Testament word of Jesus and his salvation for all people. And so it's the same argument. He's saying, you can't plead ignorance here. In fact, God has come down so that you can know this salvation precisely. You don't have to trek across the world to find this word of God. You don't have to dig down into the Mariana Trench or go up into the highest parts of heaven. No, this word has become flesh and come down and been evident to you. Uh, And this is really the point, that God communicates his salvation clearly. Right? When God wants his people to know something, he makes sure that they know it. He makes sure that he pays for a process so that they can hear it. Thanks be to God. Right? He doesn't say to you, hey, if you want to be saved, uh, there's a secret tome on the top of Mount Everest. Go find it and then you'll know the clues. He doesn't say that. He, you know what? He doesn't say, thanks be to God. He doesn't say, if you'd like to be saved... Uh, just save up $100,000 and bring it, and once you bring that $100,000, then we'll give you the secrets of salvation. You know, a lot of cults operate this way, but our God does not. Our God ensures that everyone gets to know about his salvation. He broadcasts it. He gets it out there. He doesn't do his salvation under a basket or hide it, but instead he puts it on the top of a hill so that everyone can know, so that everyone can hear. There's uh, many people who say, and famous atheists throughout time have said this, you know, uh, I would believe in God or I would believe in Jesus if there was just more evidence, right? If God would just be more plain about the salvation, if he would maybe show me a miraculous sign or just prove to himself that he exists. And the, the insult to God is he hasn't done enough to prove his existence and to prove salvation that we should trust in Jesus for salvation. But if you ever encounter that question, a good follow-up question might be, well, what evidence would you demand? Or what evidence would actually persuade you to believe? Because a lot of times, they actually don't have that in mind. The, the issue is not an evidence issue, the issue is a heart issue, right? And so when you ask the question, well, what evidence would you accept? A lot of times they struggle 
to say what exactly they would believe. And they'd say, well, it'd have to be something really dramatic, you know, like God rearranged the stars and spelled my name or something like that. Or God showed up right in front of me and talked to me. Now, there's a little bit of an arrogance uh, in this, that particular demand because why should he show up particularly for you in your time, in your space, to prove particularly to one person uh, that he exists? Why wouldn't he do that for the whole world? Right? Why wouldn't he come down and talk to people very publicly so that everyone may know? Because, in fact, that's exactly what he has done. Right? God not only showed his creative power when he created the whole universe, and his fingerprints are all over this beautiful creation, but also, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God has come down. He has particularly shown himself to the world. In the Old Testament, the, the whole Exodus story coming out of Egypt was not done in secret. Right, The whole ancient Near East world knew that God, the God of Israel did amazing things, right? That he tore down one of the superpowers of the world and freed a group of people to be his own. Everyone was afraid of these people, right? As they marched through uh, the near, ancient Near East. I mean, think about it. Uh, if today uh, some, some group of people was able to defeat a great superpower like China, right? Would, would we know about it? Would that be news that we're talking about? Of course. And you don't have to go far to find evidence in ancient Near East literature of these great people with an amazing God who tore down Egypt at the height of its power. God's Salvation is public. He makes it known. He doesn't do it in secret. And that's exactly what he did in the New Testament. In Jesus, Yahweh came down and put on flesh, and he said, how's it going? I'm Yahweh. And he did mighty signs and wonders in front of the world. Many people, not even Christian authors, they write about Jesus being a sorcerer or a worker of miracles. He went throughout the land healing people, raising people from the dead. Uh, he publicly spoke to people so that his words could be written down. And then, not only that, but he told all of his disciples, his apostles, go out and preach this into the world. And so, what else for evidence would you like? We could ask. If it was true that God was up there, would he come down and prove himself to the world? What standards should we put on him? What has he not done so that everyone can know? Uh, God reveals his salvation to this world, and he has done that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and that's the point that Paul is making here. And so let's look together about this sending because God sends people to proclaim what he has done in all the world. Let's look in verse 14. It says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not, never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The evidence of God's work, his salvation, his work through Jesus is broadcast into the world by preachers. I always uh, like this discussion about feet. You know, it's kind of just thrown in there, but it's like how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Now, I'm pretty sure none of you want to see my feet. And I don't know if Pastor John and I were in a foot beauty contest who would win. I don't think that's the point of this text, right? But it's, I think it's just a little bit comical. I don't think uh, the power of preaching lies in pedicured feet, right? In beautiful feet. But what is the point? The point is this, that the messenger himself is not the important part. Do you see that? He's not even worth mentioning here by name. It just talks about some dude with feet coming over the hill to tell me something, right? What's important about this is the message and, most importantly, the sender of the message. And so if you are in a journal, a Romans journal, underline the first part of verse 15, where it says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? Right, that is the point of this section that God sends people so that people might believe this good news about Christ. Not only was Jesus publicly crucified, not only was he publicly raised, and uh, preachers were sent out from Jerusalem so that everyone can know, God has attended to that detail as well. He sends so that people can hear. The emphasis here is on the message. How can anyone hear the gospel unless God himself sends his messengers? In fact, this is why the office of preaching exists in the world, because Jesus himself set it up and sent preachers into the world. And so this is why the church exists, right? It's not so that you can get a little bit of inspiration once a week, right? Preaching is not so that you can get, kind of get a little booster shot, right? Or just get a little bit of motivation. Preaching saves people. Not because of the preacher, but because of the word that is sent. Preaching is given to the world so that by it, people might have faith in their hearts. In other words, without this sending from God, without this word commanded to be preached, no one would be saved because the word itself creates faith. And Jesus has sent preachers to do this very thing. Let me ask you a personal question. Do you tithe? Do you give money to the church? Do you teach your kids to give money to the church? Why do we do that? You know, why do we put a dollar in a kid's hand and say, put it in the plate when it comes around? Why, what's the point? How do we explain what we're doing? 
Kids seem to get it. They love doing it when they're young. Not so much when they get a little older and it's their own money. But why do we do that? And I think there's a lot of good reasons. One reason, practically, is to keep the lights on. It's really nice that we have a building to worship in. It's really nice that we can gather in an air-conditioned space. Amen? It's really nice that we have musicians, we have preachers, we have people to steward the gifts of this community. So there's a very practical reason why we do it. The second, and a reason that I think is really useful for me personally, is it helps keep ourselves in check. It's a personal piety, it's a devotion. It says, when I put money into the plate, I'm recognizing I am not God. I can't produce life. I can't sustain life. And if I'm gonna survive in this world, it's not because of my efforts, but it's because of God's gracious provision. And so putting money in the plate helps distance us from our self-delusions that we're in control and that we can do it. The third and probably most important, we give money to the church because we want people to be saved. We give money so that more preachers may be sent. We give money because this is God's plan A for salvation, is preaching, is getting the word out. And there is no plan B, friends. We give money because we want to see God's kingdom expand. And we want our joy to increase as the church increases, as preachers are sent, as more people hear the gospel. Uh, the beautiful thing here is that Jesus not only uh, won your salvation on the cross and won your salvation in the resurrection, but he also set up a system. He instituted the church so that you could hear it and believe it in your heart. Jesus is the one who set up the church. Uh, Jesus is the one who deputized those who would shout from the rooftops everything that he whispered into their ears. Jesus is the one that commanded his apostles to go out and preach, starting at the very center of the Jewish world, the very place where he was murdered, the very place where his victory over the tyranny of sin and death was made public. In fact, as soon as Jesus had accomplished his saving mission, he immediately sent preachers into the world to go spread the good news. Look what it says in Luke chapter 24. Thus, this is Jesus before his ascension. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. These ones are the sent ones, the apostles, the ones given the message to deliver to the world. And they were faithful in their work. You know, when we had the, uh, the Last Supper live drama here not too long ago, at the end of that whole drama, all of the apostles who were at the table stood up and they explained to everyone who is here how they ended, right? How their lives went, where they went and what happened to them. And I was amazed and sobered to hear that all of those guys, all of those ones who sat with Jesus at his table, 
They all went through trial and hardship and death. Uh, being crucified or stoned or beheaded. Why would they do that? They loved the Lord Jesus. They believed in his resurrection and they were following his directions so that you and I could be saved too. So that all nations would hear about the salvation. So that it would get into our ears and into our hearts um, so that we too could believe and be saved. So these ones who were sent by God himself, they were entrusted not with the power to advise you about life and not with the power to just encourage you a little bit on your way, but with the power of God to save. It's not their power, but it is divine power. And we read about that in Isaiah this morning. In that reading, it said, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God does not do his salvation in secret. He does not hide his actions in the world, but he broadcasts it into all creation so that everyone can benefit from this word, this word that has gone out from his mouth. And so that kind of gives us an opportunity um, to deal with maybe a modern objection. And that modern objection is this, that I, I love Jesus but I don't like the church. And statistics have shown that pe more and more people think this way. I really like Jesus, but I don't really like his church. And I think, there, first of all, to be fair, uh, there have been some churches that have really messed up. <laughs> there have been some pastors who have really messed up. There are false pastors, false teachers, and charlatans who get into that position and they bring shame to the name of Christ and they should be kicked out, right? There's definitely some reason for that. Or it could be that people just don't understand what the church is, as I've been explaining this morning. Um, but at the, at the heart of this, it's this question of, I can, I can be with Jesus, but I can also reject the ones he sends. And do you see that contradiction now? Here's what Jesus says as he sends out his 72 in his ministry. He says this, you wanna read this with me? The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. I think it's hard for us to really grasp the power of these words. When Jesus sends, he says, everyone who hears you is listening to me. And he sent his Holy Spirit to ensure that that's the case. And so that when people reject the messengers of the gospel, they are rejecting Jesus himself. There's no distinction between the message of the gospel and Jesus, the messengers of the gospel and the one who sends them. And then Jesus takes it uh, one step further. He says, those who reject me reject the Father. But there's this chain of command that's happening uh, through Jesus and his church. And really, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. 
that Jesus sends his spirit upon the church so that they may have his words and proclaim it in power. And so the objection is, uh, I love Jesus, but I don't like his church. It fails. It fails because of this. It says, no, if you did love Jesus, you would love what he has to say to you. You would love his words. If you did love Jesus, you would love the ones who bring good news, right? If you did love Jesus, you would love the ones that he himself has sent to you. And if you did love Jesus, you would love his church. Um, The Lord Jesus is the one who sends people into the world. He is the one who's been faithful to us, and he has ensured that everyone in the world gets to hear this message. And so if we hear these words of God, but we stop up our ears, uh, we are stopping up our ears against the Holy Spirit and against the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot have the Lord if you will not have his word in your heart. You see? Because his word creates faith, causes us to proclaim, and causes us to believe. But this is not God's will. It's not God's will for the world that people would like Jesus but reject his words. What is his will? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the will of God, that everyone in all creation would hear about this salvation, would believe and confess the lordship of Christ and have the salvation that he has bled and died to give to this world. And for this reason, he has set up the church and sent out his preachers so that you can hear, so that you can believe, and so that the world might rejoice in salvation. And so hear the good news again, right? You don't have to climb to the Mount Mount Everest. You don't have to go down to the depths of the ocean. You don't have to have a PhD in philosophy or history or religion. You don't have to be smart or wise or rich You just have to hear these words that God in his love sent his son to die upon the cross for you, that you had no chance of salvation because of your sin, but he has done everything for your sake so that anyone who calls on his name is saved as soon as they hear it. And so it's not far away. It's near to you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. Do you believe these words from Jesus? Do you hear them and do you trust them? Does your heart grab onto them and say, yes, amen, this is true? Then it is yours. You are justified by these words, by this faith. You confess that Jesus is the Lord of all things, every facet of your life and all creation. Then you are saved that you have passed from death and into life, and you now stand justified before the living God. The word is near to you. It's in your mouth, and it's in your heart. It has been sent to you by God. And so the painful truth and the reason that Paul is asking all these questions is why. Why do many reject this word from God? Why do they turn away? Because he says, didn't they hear, right, in verse 18, have they not heard? 
Of course they have heard. God's voice has gone out into all the world. Do they not understand? Can they plead ignorance? No, they can't plead ignorance. The word is near to them. And then he quotes the Old Testament prophets, right? Moses says, I will make you jealous for those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Talking about the Gentiles. And Isaiah, I have been found by those who did not seek me. That's the Gentiles. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And so what's the distinction? Why have some rejected This might be a useful uh, image. Um, There's an old saying, I don't know where it came from, but it's this, that the same sun that melts the snow hardens the clay. Uh, When God sent his word out into the world, it will have an effect. And the effect is either people hear this gospel and they reject it, they prefer their sins and the delusion that they're righteous and they reject the Christ, or it melts their hearts and they believe and they are saved. The same sun that melts the snow hardens the clay. Paul is saying that many of his brethren had hardened themselves against this word, that they reacted negatively to this word when it came into their ears and into their hearts, but that he rejoices that God continues to hold his hands out to all people and that many people have found him who did not seek him. That they, they heard the word and their hearts were melted and they were justified and they were saved. May we be people with hearts that melt quickly at the voice of, of our God so that we too can abound in this salvation, rejoice in it, and spread it as well into the rest of the world. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.